to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter and owner of Crazy Chester Records. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willie's Jimmy Hall and Funky Chester. The Crazy Chester Radio Hour is a weekly music talk podcast featuring an eclectic group of guests with musical hearts, minds and souls. And many of the episodes will dive deep into the rich history of music mecca muscle shows. My guest today is Billy Swan. Billy is an artist, musician, songwriter and producer whose musical fingerprints are all over the musical map including some of the most influential records ever made. His record of I Can Help was a big hit for Billy in 1974 and was later recorded by Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis and many others. He's also produced Tony Joe White's Poke Salad Annie and has played in Chris Christopherson's band for many years. I met Billy a few years ago through Buzz Kaysen and he's become a good friend of mine. Billy, welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Well, well, thank you very much. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for, for being my guest and taking your time and uh, you know spending the next hour tracing back your, your career in music. And... Uh, you were born in Missouri. In Missouri, yes, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. It's right, right there. Before you go into the Boot Hill, actually, yeah. uh, and it's right on the river, right on the Mississippi. And uh, I was born uh, uh, in a house on Mill Hill, which looks down at the river. And then we moved to Water Street and. That was about a block from the river too, and uh, after we lived there until I was about ten, and then we moved to a North Spanish Street, I think it was. What What are some of your earliest memories of music in your life? Um, it would be Gene Autry, Gene Autry, Hank Williams. Um, I liked a lot of the I I I liked all kinds of music then uh, you know I wasn't I didn't grow up around that that much blues you know or anything like that it was basically what I heard on the radio uh and my uncle played saxophone in a band uh a dance band Don McNeely's band actually and uh, uh the music I heard would just be whatever was popular at the time you know, but I like Gene Autry a lot, and um, Hank Williams. I liked him a lot, and Lefty Verzell, Johnny and Jack, uh, Farron Young. You know, uh, him, a lot of the country singers, and then the uh, Bill Haley. He got big, and then I really dug that, and 
then the Sun Records stuff, and that was it for me, you know, that stuff. So you had a musical family then? With, with uh, on, uh, just my uncle, you know. I guess I'm the only one that's into, had gotten into music or played any music in, in my family. But as a child, you got to learn quite a few instruments at an early age. No, no, not really. I, I, I didn't. The only thing, I, I'd go to my uh, cousin's house, and this is later on than what we're talking about now, and uh, I learned to do this thing, <laughs> the whole lot of shaking thing, that dunga 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 and every time I'd go to my cousin's house, I'd drive him crazy with dunga 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 just staying in C, you know, and playing that. So playing a little piano was the first thing I did. And uh, I, I don't play that great today, but enough maybe to write a song or something, you know. But, uh, and then I played drums for, with a guy one time, it was just he and I. And I think all we did was Rumble and Johnny Be Good, you know. And um, that was it, yeah, that was it. And I sung in a, sung at a band later on. And that, was that mainly covers? At uh, the, yeah, yeah, at playing in clubs and doing whatever was popular at the time. Uh, I think uh, I even did Ahab the Arab. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. When when did you start writing your your first songs? Well, I, I, um, a teacher in high school when I was a sophomore, Miss Reed, uh, got me interested in. Uh, writing some poetry and uh, I used to write every uh, night before I'd go to bed these these poems not really thinking at the time uh, I'd kind of think think of them as songs and it would be like da 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 they'd all have this kind of rhythm da 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 which is how you write a song basically you know And uh, uh, I had a song, uh, uh, which was one of the first ones I wrote, was Lover Please. And uh, uh, the one that Clyde McFadder did, but some friends of mine uh, did that first, I'll tell you about that. But that was one of those things. Lover Please, please come back. Don't take the train coming down the track. Don't, please, don't, please, don't leave me. Don't leave me in misery. You know, if you look at that, and uh, I mean, For a guy to get the first song he wrote recorded and then something like that happened, you think, wow, this is going to be easy, you know, and it's not easy. It's not, but... Unless you're really gifted, you know, someone like a, a Dylan or one of the Beatles or something or Paul Simon, whatever. And that song was, I guess, eventually your first big break in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some friends of mine... Uh, Uh, Merle and the Rhythm Steppers. Uh, I, I went with them to, um, I think it was Wycliffe, Kentucky. They were playing there with Bill Black's combo. And Bill was there. And uh, uh, Reggie Young was in the band. Uh, Satch Arnold, Bobby Emmons. Uh, uh, Bill was playing bass that night, of course, I think. And uh, who else? Um, I was thinking it was somebody else. But... Uh, Um, that you would know, but uh, we met uh, Bill Black and he liked him. 
and he said, I'd like to record you on. And of course, they were thrilled. And um, the day that they they were going to go down, they invited me. Hey, you want to ride along with us? They had a station wagon. So I did. And uh, the session was done at uh, Satellite Studios. And I'm talking about 6061, uh, something like that, 60, I think. And uh, uh, Chip's Moman was the engineer. Yeah, and that was kind of a precursor of stacks. Yes, yes. And still had the little record store on the side, if I remember right. But uh, they did uh, they did a song, and then uh, Bill said, well, what else you got? And they said, well, that's it. But the, one of them said, but Billy writes songs. And I was drinking a Coke with my foot up against the wall, and Bill said, well, sing me some. So I sang him three songs, and um, Lover Please was one of them. So he said, let's do that. So they did it, and so that was Mer Merle and the Rhythm Steppers, and my friend Jimmy Boyer was the one uh, who told him that I wrote songs, and later on when uh, I'd had that success with I Can Help, uh, he came and played drums with me on the road, which was great. Was that your first time in a recording studio? Uh, yeah, it sure was. It sure was. And then the Clyde McFadder had the First well, well, the hit. next the the next version. There was two versions before McFadder. Bill did a track with this uh, the guys he works with. He wanted he liked the song, I guess, so he did this track. And he had a friend of mine, who I first sang the song to. His name was Dennis Turner, and he put uh, Dennis on the track singing it, and uh, that was released. And Shelby Singleton wanted to. Uh, pick up the master and put it out on Smash. But uh, Bill had a deal with London Records or something, distributing or whatever, and uh, he didn't do it. So from what Shelby told me, told me he was in New York uh, uh, recording McFadder. And uh, he said, uh, played it so, and he said he wasn't that fond of the song, you know. And he said, well, I tell you, Clyde, you you do this one for me, and then I'll let you pick the next one, and then I'll pick one, then you pick one, you know. So that's it, you know. And I didn't even know he had uh, been had recorded it until I was at this club one night, the airline, and uh, someone said, Swan, and have you heard your song by Clyde McFadder? I said, no. And John R. was playing it here, and uh, we'd pick up that, you know. And uh, so... Uh, so I listened to the show that night, and it was about 12.30 or something. And I was driving my little 49 Dodge or whatever it was I had then. And here it comes on the radio, and it's snowing. So I come to this four-way stop of Broadway and in Broadway, and I forget the it's cross street, where the, the Statue of Liberty is, small life Statue of Liberty. And I just did a big old circle in the the road, you know, with my car. I was made me feel so good, and, and that was it. And the rest is history from there. And then I went to, to Memphis later on with the intent to write for Bill, you know. And um, 
saw him a couple times, and then, uh, but the first place I went was Graceland, because I'd never been to Graceland. I'd been down there before to actually go to see Jerry Lee and say hi to him, and uh, but I'd never stopped at Graceland, so I went out there, and I got to talking to the guard, uh, Travis Smith, and a real nice guy, you know, a great guy, and I told him what I was doing and, and all this. He said, well, one of my sons just got married, left home. We have a home. You can move in there. And, and they had another son, Bobby. And uh, so I ended up staying there. And uh, uh, that was uh, January of uh, 63. And ended up uh, living with him. And... Uh, I didn't see Bill that much. I just ran around with the Smith boys, you know, going to the skating rink when they always would go, and uh, they'd they'd take me with them or the fairgrounds or movies, you know. And then when I turned 21, which was uh, May of 63, I went back to Cape Toronto, stayed there about two or three months, and in August I moved to Nashville, August of 63. And from and from then to now, here I am with you. <laughs> yeah. At that time, where you're already considering yourself a pro professional musician or songwriter? No, no, I far from it. I just I'd been down here a couple times to to Cedarwood Music, but uh, I just had made a decision later on. You know, I'm gonna go down there and say I just I just. Came down here and uh, uh, here we are. Here we are. And uh, some of the early recordings you made as an artist here in Nashville uh, are kind of connected to what we're doing here, too, because we're a creative workshop that's owned by Buzz Kaysen. Right. Well, and Buzz was the first person to, well, the first person to actually to do a, a record with me I guess was Mel Tillis and John Denny they took me to fame down to Rick Hall we did three sides Norbert was on bass David and uh, Jerry Kerrigan maybe uh, Jerry I think was playing yeah and uh, uh, then and nothing happened it almost got picked up by a guy at Capitol this Nick Benet who used to come to Nashville but didn't happen he put horns on one song, actually, but it didn't happen. And and the next time was Buzz and Chip Young produced me, which was 65, 66. And we did a song that Buzz and I wrote called Out of Her System. And then they recorded me again later, and we did uh, Below Average Every Day Girl, which was a song I wrote. Yeah, and one of those 45s came out on the Rising Suns label, and the yeah. other one on Elf. That's right. That well, that was on the Bobby Russell uh, song that he wrote. A couple songs he wrote that he had me sing, you know. And um, um, actually, we had another song that uh, Buzz and Chip uh, did on Rising Song Sun, which is Friendship. That was on Rising Sun. And Below Average Today Girl was Monument, and that first record was Monument. First song was Monument. Yeah, you, you're just mentioning Monument and both Monument and Combine Music and Fred Foster and Bob Beckham. Yeah. You, you were part of that generation of songwriters that oh, eventually that was, that was just great. changed 
music around here you and Donnie Fritz and Chris Christopherson, Dennis Lindy, Arthur Alexander, uh, Tony Cho White, and we'll get to all of that in a minute. But uh, how did you get hooked up with the Monument Combine operation? Um, um, how did I get? Well, I, I, I used to see Bob a lot. Uh, I worked at uh, CBS Studios. Uh, for about a year, and uh, and then I, when I was at Cedarwood, and and I wrote for Grady Martin and Freddie uh, Floyd Kramer's company, and uh, Kramart, and I was there f for about a year and a half, and uh, uh, or a year, and uh, then I'd walk over to Combine a lot and see Bob, and uh, that's when. And, Around sixty, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to figure out my timeline here, but uh, I was working for for writing for Kramart Music, and I would walk next door at Combine, see Bob, you know. So every now and then I'd do that, and I'd be there on a Saturday by myself at Kramart, uh, uh, and I'd go outside and see Bob's car, just or a Sunday, and I so I'd go over there and we'd talk a lot. And he uh, started playing these uh, uh, Tony Joe White demos that Tony was sending up from Corpus Christi. I think that's where it was from, sending from. And uh, and I told Bob, I said, man, if I'd ever produced or worked with anybody, I'd be the guy I'd like to work with, you know. And so Bob basically set that up. And you guys and, did three albums together? Th yeah, three. And yeah. uh, I guess the first single that made an impact was Soul Francisco. Soul Francisco, uh, in, Fran in France of all places, if I remember right. And uh, then I think around San Francisco, it probably did something. But uh, yeah, and then they re released Poke Salad, and that was out for I don't know how long before it took hold, you know. And... Uh, yeah, it was fun working with Tony. He's a great guy. And you guys had great musicians on, on that record. Oh, some of them, they oh, got uh, started in Muscle Shoals, too. Yes, yes. And Burke uh, and Norbert White and did David some of and the Jerry Kerrigan. Uh, horns. And then we went to uh, Nashville, I mean Memphis, and did an album with uh, uh, Sammy Creason and uh, Mike Utley. Uh, the guys that later became basically Dixie Flyers. Dixie Flyers. You know. Danny Freeman. Yeah. And, and then back here, I think it was. And uh, I guess when you were working at CBS Studio, you you ended that job or you quit and somebody else took over from you. Yeah, you know, uh, I'd been there almost a year, I guess, and uh, I just tired of working, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and it was a great job. I loved it because I, I loved being at session. I used to hang out at the sessions uh, in those days, go over to Victor and hang out there while they recorded, and then I'd go over to CBS, you know. And uh, So f finally I hung out at uh, CBS so much, playing ping pong with everybody and the musicians, and uh, uh, they gave me a job. <laughs> and it was basically they called it an engineer's assistant, but it was it's just like, a, more of like a janitor cleaning up between sessions and erasing tape uh, 
stuff like that. And uh, uh, so I was there for the Blonde on Blonde, first time, Blonde on Blonde sessions that they did here. And then it wasn't long after that that uh, I, I quit. And I, a gentleman named uh, Harold Hitt was the manager of the studio. And I just walked in and I said, Harold, I'm going to, you know, uh, I think I'm going to stop working for a while or something. And he said, no problem. He said, uh, uh, this will be your two-week notice then. I said, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know anything about two-week notices. But <laughs> I said, okay, yeah, my two-week notice. And uh, he said, well, if you know of anybody that might be looking for a job, you know, tell them to come in. I said, okay. So I left, and as I was going out the door, Chris was coming in. And he, the first thing out of his mouth was, hey, man, you know where I can get a job? I said, yeah, I just quit mine. Come on. And we went back to Harold Hitt's office, and I said, Harold, you know, he's looking for a job, <laughs> you know, and that was it. And I left, and I guess they talked or whatever, and that was it. So Chris took my place, and I think he worked there about a year. And he and I went to Combine at about the same time. And then Chris started his career as an artist, and when he was looking to put together a band, I guess mainly to play at the Troubadour in L.A., he recruited you, and I think Donnie Fritz and Dennis Lindy. Well, and a few what, other how people. that happened was he walked into com I was sitting in Combine in Bob's office by myself, and he comes stomping in, you know, and he's bye bye blank 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 blank. And I said, "What's wrong?" Well, so and so was going to help me at the Troubadour, and of course I was familiar with Chris's songs because I'd help him demo some there in the little studio and stuff. And he said they backed out my and and Dennis Lindy had started writing for Combine. And Dennis played everything, guitar, drums, bass, or whatever, you know. And I said, well, look, uh, why don't you, I'll play bass and get uh, about the gig in California. I said, the bass is just top four strings of the guitar. I can play that and get Dennis Lindy played guitar. He said, great. And that was the beginning of that, you know. And then uh, when we went out, uh, Donnie went with us because Donnie was there at Combine, you know. And uh, so Donnie was kind of our manager, <laughs> you know, that time. And then uh, uh, we worked there two weeks uh, with Linda Ronstadt, Stone Ponies is what it was. Came back, and then uh, Chris got a booking about a m two months later. Yeah, two months later to work at the Troubadour in San Francisco that's going to open a new one there. So that's when Dennis didn't want to go out anymore. So, um, Is that when you got Sal to play guitar? Huh? He got... Uh, Sal oh, he had, uh, he had met uh, Zal Yanowski in New York. And so we met. Actually, we, we all met and Donnie and I was out somewhere and uh, Chris called and I was talking to him. I said, "Hey, we got I got us a piano player, man." He said, "Who?" I said, "Donnie Fritz." He says, "Great." So Donnie goes out with us and he's the keyboard player, you know. And Zaw was the uh, played guitar and I want to say that uh, Norman Blake was with us too cuz he the next gig after that 
was the Isle of Wight. We played there, and Norman, Norman was with us there. Yeah. As was Zolly, you know. And you didn't stay with Chris on the road for too long after No, that. no. I was a very paranoid bass player, you know, playing without a drummer. And after a while, I got to be very paranoid about it. Uh, I don't know if it was in my head or their head or what. But about a year later, I uh, uh, I left. And uh, Stephen Bruton uh, came on as a guitar player. And the guitar player, who was a bass, real bass player, uh, Terry, Terry, um, anyway, he, he started playing bass. Okay. And that was it. And did you then play some with Kinky Friedman and Billy Choshay? Yeah, then, then, I, then I worked a year with uh, Kinky, and, uh, uh, which is quite an experience. And uh, I... Kink is a great guy, and all the guys in the band were great. But boy, we had some uh, a lot of neat experiences you might imagine. You know. Did you play bass with him as well? Actually, uh, I did, and uh, rhythm guitar and singing harmony. You know, and uh, then uh, after that, I I was talked to Bobby Bear. Wait a minute, and and then after that. Uh, Billy Joe had an album coming out that that Chris had produced, and uh, Billy asked me if I'd go on the road with him and play bass, and he had a, f a friend in Texas, George George M. Jones, <laughs> and uh, uh, George played guitar, and I did that for about three months, and uh, Billy was writing for Bobby Bear, and Billy wouldn't do anything or something and was talking to Bobby Bear about going to work with him. And that's when uh, Chris called and said, hey, uh, you want to come back, you know. And it Actually, it was uh, perfect because, uh, and Bobby said, hey, you should go with Chris. That's where you should be, you know. And uh, I did. And, uh, and I think that's about the time we recorded I Can Help, which was in April. Of uh, seventy four, yeah. And uh, that was at Chip Young Studio. At at Chip Young Studio in Murfreesboro, yeah. And uh, the keyboard you played there, RMI keyboard. What well, was the well the uh, the RMI keyboard was a, a keyboard that uh, Chris had given me for a wedding present. Actually, we were out. We were doing something one time. He said. Hey, I want to get you a, something for your wedding. You know, what would you want? A wedding gift, you know. And we went to a music store, and uh, I picked out the organ, and he got the amp to go with it, you know, which was, uh, what kind of amp was that? It was, it was cool. I still have that. I still have both of them, actually. But uh, that's the one I wrote I Can Help on. But at the uh, when we recorded it, so, so funny how things happen, you know. Uh, Bobby Emmons walked in that morning with a little organ over his shoulder. He says, man, you should hear this. Well, they set it up. And the first song we did was I Can Help that day, I think. And uh, they set it up, and I was showing them the song, playing it. 
not wanting to play on the record, you know, or anything, because here Bobby Woods and Bobby Emmons are there, right? So I just started, I had that little boogie thing, you know, in the den, little lick, and I'm singing it. And uh, I think Bobby Emmons said, well, you just go ahead and do it. So they set it up and they ran the, the it was a Wurlitzer organ, white and about that long, about three feet long or something. And um, they ran it through a uh, Leslie. They really gave it a little more of that vibrato sound, you know. And you know, uh, uh, and leave me in, in the studio playing and singing, standing up and Reggie, Young right behind me, you know, and uh, while I'm doing the song, and we did it in like two takes, and uh, uh, but while I'm doing it, I'm standing there, you know, like this, playing it and shaking. Yeah, you got a problem, you know. And um, Chip had a little puppy thing, Bowser, and Bowser all through the take was pulling on my pants leg, and afterwards, you know, just uh, Reggie went nuts. He. <laughs> and it was pretty funny, you know, at the time. And uh, so we gave uh, Bowser credit on the album, you know. And somebody else who, you know, helped make this record a great record is obviously one of the greatest guitar players. Oh, Chip Young. Yeah. Uh, and, and Reggie, and, actually. And Reggie did that cool Yes, lick. yes. And, and I, I loved it. And Chip did too and said, hey, let's start the record with that, you know. Do you remember if that was an overdub or if he actually no, played that? No, that. that was right there, live. And uh, to this day, every guitar player is struggling to to copy that lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. <laughs> so, yeah. you and you made a string of albums through this, the 70s for Monument and I think... Yeah, for, I, I did uh, four for, for Monument. Uh, one of them had the CBS label, and uh, I did a went from Monument to uh, what label was I on? Booker T produced the album. Was that on A and M? Huh? Was that one on A and M? A and M, yeah, yeah, that was it. And uh, but, uh, your fourth album that was titled Four took you down to Muscle Shoals. Yes, yeah, I went down there. Uh, Do you remember anything? Any? story or kind of how that well uh it 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 uh i really wasn't prepared for it uh and it was uh i really wasn't that together didn't have the songs i don't think uh and it's just something i wanted to do you know go down there and work with a guy hello it's my telephone yeah Guess who's calling? Donnie Fritz. Funky Donnie Fritz. <laughs> uh, hello? Uh, Donnie, I'm doing an interview with uh, Crazy Chester right now. And you're... Uh, yes. No, no, not not was I. I am. Right now. You're on... You're. On, uh, let me tell you something. Say hello to the audience. <laughs> hello there, y'all. Hey, Donnie. Uh, hey. <laughs> Pretty good. How are you? I, I didn't mean to interrupt your interview. No, I'm I'm glad you called. We were kind of thinking of something to talk about. It's, it's trying a, to think about something. It's you know? a perfect timing. Perfect timing as usual. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, I just uh, 
What'd you do today? What'd you do? Did you work in the studio? Yeah. Oh, I I can edit it out. No. He can edit it out. He can edit it out, but he won't. Well, that stuff you're doing, you you've been in the studio, right? Oh, wow. Cool. And uh, there's two more songs in these voices that I think we're going to use. Uh, the, the sisters couldn't do it anymore because they, they're, they're working on their stuff. And, but you remember Cindy and... Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're gonna, yeah, they're going to do the other two songs next week. All right. Yeah. Well... So, Well, I'll, I'll call you later tonight. All right. Bye, Andreas. Okay. Bye, Donnie. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. The fact that we were talking about Muscle Shoals and fun, yeah. he might, his ears <laughs> might have been burning or something. <laughs> that must have been it. Yeah. But it, it was, uh, it, uh, uh, I love working with those guys. They are just incredible musicians and, uh, that muscle show sound uh, just uh, fantastic. That know. that album is one of my favorites of yours. Well, I, yeah, you you, you know, uh, it it's hard for me to to listen to some things, you know, because I wonder, well, why did I put that on there? Why did I do that? Uh, and of course, I'm I'm sure a lot of artists do that, you know, when you armchair quarterbacking yourself or whatever anyway yeah and you after you know doing that string of solo albums you also did some collaborative albums you did an album that i really like the black tie album oh yeah you with have, randy meisner yeah and um, uh, jimmy griffin yeah and uh those are great guys and um so I by talk, that time you moved out to LA. I moved out, and which is when I did that A and M album, you know, and which was one of the reasons I left Monument because I was moving out there and everything seemed perfect. Chris and was located out there, and I was on the road with him, and uh, and my wife really wanted. She was from out there, and she wanted to be back home. And hey, I'll do it, you know. So, or close to family. Yeah. You know. And how did that Black Tie album come about? Uh, I met this guy, uh, uh, his name's Reggie Young, and he had a studio at his house. And I went up there, and that's where I met Jimmy. And uh, eventually Randy would hang out there. And uh, a lot of that was cut before I got involved, some of the instrumental stuff on there had Steve Beccaro and well, actually, and and on T Bone's album uh, Truth Decay, uh, I think that's the first time I'd went up there. Yes, that's how I met Reggie. Was uh, T Bone was doing this album there? So, yeah, and then uh, Jimmy would come in and Randy and I'd go there and hang out. 
during the day, and finally they said, well, why don't we do something with these cuts and uh, make a band, call it Black Tie, and that's what he did, you know, and he, and the fellow that produced it basically was a, a friend of Reggie's, his name's Rob Perkin, who lives in uh, Connecticut. And one but of, Rob would be there, and he played some piano and, and stuff. And uh, one of the engineers who, who worked on that was Jeff Gillette. The what? Jeff oh, Jeff, Gillette. absolutely, Jeff was I there. I met him through another friend of mine, Charlie Taylor. He came out here to work on a project I was involved Oh, Jeff's with. a great guy. Great guy, yep. He sure is. And yeah. then you did a second album with Randy and Charlie Rich Jr. Yep, yep. Uh, after we left, the, I don't know how it was, we just got separated from Reggie in some way, and we were going out and working the road, and Jimmy moved to uh, Nashville. And uh, so I'd met Alan out there, and uh, he and I... Randy got together and started going out, and it, it was Black Tie, some, and then it was Meisner, Rich, and Swan, you know. And, uh, yeah. So, we we haven't talked as much about the songwriting side, and uh, we certainly need to talk a little bit more about I Can Help, because you had a huge hit with it as an artist, but then it's also been recorded by a lot of people, including Elvis. Oh yeah, you know, it was a, uh, an absolute thrill to have Elvis do it, and Jerry Lee did it. I mean, Jerry Lee—if you never heard his version, you should. I I just think it's, uh, to me, it's 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 better than my record. I mean, it is fantastic, and. Uh, and Different other people record your songs too, yeah, including no. Whale and Jennings. And there's also one that I really like that maybe not that many people know that you wrote it. And when Stevie Ray Vaughan and his brother Jimmy yeah. did an album uh, together shortly before Stevie Ray passed, they recorded one of your songs. Well, I, I was working with the T Bone, got me uh, involved in that. He was working on Great Balls of Fire. And I was in Memphis. Uh, he. T-Bone had me working with the actors, you know. And I was working with Dennis Quaid, close to him, basically. And uh, so uh, I went to uh, Jimmy Vaughn's room, and Jimmy was playing Rolling Janes in the Great Balls of Fire. And uh, we were just talking. He said uh, his brother and he were going to do an album. And uh, do you got any songs or something, anything, anything? I said, well, there's, yeah, there's one. And I played him the White Boot song. And he liked it. And he said, I'm, I'll do that. And he did it. Surprised, he surprised me. And uh, I found out later when I was on the road with Chris, I got a phone call. And it was Jimmy saying, hey, we did your song. And um, Anyway, and this, that was much later. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, quite a, it's a good little song. Absolutely. You know, good little song. And so the Great Balls of Fire project was, you know, connected to Sun, but then you also went back to the old Sun studio to cut yeah. a record yeah, that I, was titled Like Elvis used well, to do. Well, before that, I, I did a, an album, uh, we called it Bop to Be, and uh, uh, had some, some songs I wrote on it. And then uh, I got this idea later, maybe doing a, 
uh, an Elvis album uh, of Elvis songs, kind of arranging them a little different, like the Don't Be Cruel that uh, I did with Chip, you know. And uh, uh, so I did. I did do that, and uh, that was fun. And I, I went after we did that. I came up with this idea one time after that, uh, would uh, thinking about son of Sinatra, son Sinatra. I said, well, we should do some of his songs. So we went back and I did a bunch of hit Sinatra songs, which was great doing that. And that's never been released, but uh, hopefully soon some of that stuff will be coming out. Yeah, and you also did. An album paying tribute to to Buddy Holly more recently here at yes, Creative Workshop Buzz with Case Buzz Case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which which I love doing. And uh, uh, how did that one come about? What was that? I I think we we he and I both love Buddy Holly, and of course he was one of the crickets one time, you know. And uh, we talked a lot about Buddy Holly and uh, doing doing something. I had a couple things that uh, I put down at the house, and he liked them. And then uh, uh, we got together and uh, worked on this song, uh, Thank You, Buddy, which is on the album, and uh, uh, came here, creative, and did some things, and that's it, you know. And uh, that was fun. That was fun. I mean, I, I love Buddy Holly. And did two of you been writing songs together too. Yeah. There's one yeah. on Buzz's latest album called Justice Gone yeah. and then there's one called Whatever Happened to My Rock and Roll Dream that yeah, you did right. not too long right. ago. And did somebody do that? Uh, I don't I, think so. You guys did a demo. We did it, yeah. And we just did a demo, yeah. Yeah, I like that song though. I do too. I do too. And one project I wanted to... Uh, to ask you about which I thought was I'm, I'm curious about is uh, you, you were part of a stage production uh, of a, As You Like It after the Shakespeare that's right uh, play, yeah. and by, by Tony Richardson how how did that come about and what exactly was your role well my wife had a friend um, uh, Buddy Ochoa and uh, he worked with Tony Richardson and he had I guess told Tony about me and uh, they were doing this As You Like It play with Carol Channing and uh, Bruce Bruce Davison, is that it? Bruce Davison, actor. And uh, had some, some great pe people in it, some really good actors. And uh, uh, he wanted me to put music to the poems or songs in the play so I did and uh, I think the play was did was one night or two nights and then was no more but we rehearsed a long time and uh, quite an experience you know to do that yeah your two daughters are both artists in their own right Planet and Sierra both they they have recorded and made records and uh, done a lot with different people, you know. So they must make you very proud. Oh, I am. I'm very proud of them, and they they still write and work on music and uh, 
Sierra worked with um, um, Billy Corgan. Yeah, the the pumpkins uh, on a tour, and then she worked with uh, is it Dave Stewart? Yeah, yeah. After uh, she worked remix. with him, and uh, they did a Ringo tour when he had that. Uh, I forget the name of the album. It was a good album. Yeah, but uh, that Dave Stewart produced on him. Yeah, yeah, and um, but she went on a roll with him, and she enjoyed that a lot. And then um, did an, a couple albums, you know. Did an album uh, that was uh, produced by Linda Perry. Linda Perry, yeah. Really a good album. But, uh, it was on, uh, what was that album that uh, Jimmy Ivan Interscope. Interscope, yeah. It's on Interscope. Yeah. yeah. When they were little, were you encouraging them to pursue a, a Not life that much, music? but I'd find themselves in my studio doing something, you know, because uh, uh, they'd sing at church. I'd make them little tracks. To, they liked Patsy Cline. So I made some uh, tracks like you'd buy, uh, uh, what do they call them, where you sing with them? Karaoke type. Karaoke type tracks. But uh, I did them at the house, you know, and the, the keys that they sang in, uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky and all of that stuff. But, uh, yeah. And then they just kind of got in it themselves, you know. And then now Sierra's living in Minneapolis. Uh, she married a, a gentleman from Minneapolis, and uh, she, uh, and they both, she, both my daughters are big Prince fans. So she was excited about moving to Minneapolis because of that, you know. Oh, and they made the middle name of their daughter is Prince. All right. <laughs> Lucille Prince. And as a performer, you got to perform a lot of important festivals or events throughout the past 50 years. You mentioned the Isle of, of Wives. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with uh, Chris, but uh, there's another show that I think, especially looking back, was quite monumental, and that was the Havana Jam in '79. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, which that was, was also a, a great li lineup, including Stephen Stills and Weather Report. Oh, right? a lot of great jazz players. I mean, that Billy and, Joe was there, and uh, it was. Uh, Quite some, and they made a documentary about that. Yeah, about yep. about that. I haven't seen that. Too. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I remember you not too long ago talking to the director of it. I guess he, he might be working on a on a reissue or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very nice fellow. I forget his name. You remember? Uh, not from the top. Yeah, of no, my he's head. very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, you know, for spending this past hour with me, sharing all your your history. Do you feel we've we missed out on anything that's been important to you? I can't think of anything. It was great when Carl Perkins came out there and did a few songs with us. When the, that's one of the uh, one of the exciting things about. 
working out at Chips, and we got uh, him. We did uh, three songs with him, and one of them we were serious about putting it down, and then we just threw the others and just used them, the, you know, blue suede shoes and matchbox. Yeah. I wish we'd spent more time on them, but, you know, it's, hey, let's do matchbox and blue suede shoes and this and that. And a little earlier you mentioned Don't Be Cruel. Yeah. To which your version of that song has kind of found its cult following. It's you, you know, you know what was weird about that is when I I was playing my guitar at the house one night and I was doing that swampy groove, you know, and I started singing it, you know. And then here's uh, I was thinking, well, this is wild, you know. Is this good or what? And then. When we did the album, and I don't, I don't really write all that much, and I really don't consider myself much of a songwriter like the prolific songwriters like Buzz or Chris or a lot of them, because I don't really write that much. I, I try at times, but it doesn't happen, you know. And, um, uh, but uh, was in the studio, and I said, well, I have this little idea for "Don't Be Cruel." Uh, and so they said, we'll do it. And I was really embarrassed. Joined it for Reggie and them, you know, and I started. And boy, they fell into it immediately. And and it turned out to be a, a good little thing for us, you know, because it does have a cult following, you know. And it they use it on uh, TV shows every now and then on the funeral procession or something, you know. Yeah. And they put it on that country funk compilation, too, a few years ago. Light, yeah, lighting which was cool. Records. You know, there was a, a a friend of ours. His name was Tom Baker. He was an actor. And Tom's not with us anymore, but uh, met him uh, around the time I first started. Chris was working, you know. and uh, uh, He had a deal. He and some other people were, at that time, some of the uh, actors on uh, Saturday Night Live were sponsoring certain people to do little projects, film projects. And Tom did a, um, a went to Memphis, and this was after Elvis had died and all. And he had a, uh, he said, I want to use your version of, of that Don't Be Cruel on, on this little uh, short movie I'm doing. And he did some shots outside sun, but all of a sudden he, uh, and one scene, it just, I think it's, it starts out this way, of Graceland. You see Graceland, and it's wintertime, kind of bleak looking, you know. And then the Don't Be Cruel starts, and it goes real slowly across the front of, of Graceland. It's moved me quite a bit, you know. I just still have it in my, my mind. and I hope someone can use that sometime, doing that, because it really looks good, you know. Yeah. And a little earlier, we had a cameo by Donnie Fritz. And would you mind just talking a little bit up about you guys' friendship? Because I oh, know you my, guys are well, best, Donnie, you best know, of Donnie, friends. When, when I was at Cedarwood, um, I want to say when he first came up here and started writing for uh, Shelby Singleton's company, what was the name of it? Was that Screen Gems? Huh? That was not Screen Gems. No, 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 no. Uh, he, we, we would see each other from a distance. Uh, 
But we finally met around the Combine era, coming in there. And uh, came very close, just uh, he'd come up here and we'd stay up all night, three nights, whatever, you know, and we'd be everywhere. Uh, mostly at the Holiday Inn on the West End, or he'd come stay with me where I had the apartment on Broadway. And, uh, but we just, you know, and then uh, uh, the thing with uh, Tony, he was around all the time when I was working the Tony stuff in Memphis. We'd drive down together and uh, we drove to Texas, I think once to see Tony just out of the blue. Well, let's go down, you know, Tony's playing in Dallas, Texas. And, and we would see the show and we came back, you know, saw Tony, but crazy stuff. and. Uh, uh, I love him, and uh, he's like a brother or something, you know. Uh, and but, but everybody feels that way about Donnie. I mean, everybody loves Donnie. He's a very special person in in our lives. Absolutely, in my life too. Yes. And uh, over the last couple of years, you even had a couple locations where you were able, the two of you to reunite with Chris for for certain special events. We just had celebrated Donnie's 75th birthday. Yeah, that and, that was great. That was great. I, I, uh, well, you were there. You were part of that. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was, was real special to me night. because I've always heard you or, or Donnie talk about the good old days, but i never seen you perform with Chris. And to be able to do that, to see that for just one night, that was... That was, I felt myself transported back a little bit there for, <laughs> oh, well. for an evening. Uh, oh, Chris sounded great that night, didn't he? And, he uh, sure did. Uh, and that band, he loved that band too. Yeah. I mean, uh, just those so gracious of him just to come down to Muscle Shoals, you know, just like well, that. To Donnie's birthday, you know, asking him to come. Uh, they didn't even think twice about it, you know? So. Yeah, so we're almost at the end. Maybe we can finish it off with what's ahead for you. What are you working on at the moment? Well, uh, for the last few years, I've been uh, writing some uh, spiritual songs, I guess you might, gospel-type songs. I don't know what you'd call them. And, and I've been working with Larry Rogers on it. You know Larry. And uh, Larry got his start with Bill Black too, and uh, but been working on that for five years, and hopefully uh, that'll be out. I don't know when. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending your time with me and sharing all your stories, and I wish you just the best of luck for everything ahead. Well, appreciate it so much. It's. Uh, Let's do it again sometime and try to get Donnie in here and buzz. And That's, that sounds <laughs> like a plan. That, it would be. It would be. And it's always interesting how, you know, different people prompt different stories or different memories that otherwise <laughs> you might not have on top of your, your mind. So. All right. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. This was the 17th episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. 
We taped it at Buzz Kaysen's Creative Workshop Recording Studio in Nashville. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week.